This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 46, and finally Joseph has got his father Jacob into Egypt, and what is happening here. He's brought his whole family down, and they are going to to see their new home, their new place to live, at least for a moment, for a while, for a second. And remember that there were only two years into the famine, and oftentimes we think that they went down there to stay. That was not the initial. That was not the initial issue. And a lot of times we get that because we understand that ultimately Jacob dies in Egypt, and they bring his body back when they leave out of Egypt. Four hundred some odd years later, they come out of Egypt, and when that happens, uh, they bring his body and they bring Joseph's body out of Egypt. And so the natural thought is that when they left Canaan for good and that they had no expectation of going back to Canaan. And let me say this, I think it's important that you understand this and you need to understand that they did not have that expectation. That's not what they expected. Now, Jacob expected that he likely would die because if there were going to be five more years of famine, he was still an old man. You're going to see that he's above 100 years old. He's 130, I believe it is. And you're going to see that if you're 130 years old, you don't have an expectation that you're going to live five more years. You might, you could, it would be a blessing too. But that being said, you're not, it's not expected. It's not expected that you live that long. That's what makes young people when they pass away so tragic is because there is an expectation. The younger you are, the more likely you are to live five more years. And that expectation decreases as as the color of your hair de- grows all the same color, and uh, that is gray. And as life happens that way, your expectation of having those five more years is less and less. And Jacob did not expect to have those five years. However, the opportunity to see his son, the opportunity to have his family saved, and that's a key there also, those opportunities availed themselves and brought him into Egypt. And that was the plan of God. It's the plan of God for him to go into Egypt and for them to to be in bondage in Egypt ultimately. And the reason that is, is because God was u- using Israel as a light to the Gentiles. They are a city on a hill. They were their story and uh, God's work with them throughout that story and their effort to learn to walk in faith with God as a people is the New Testament example. It is It gives us the Old Testament picture of the New Testament idea of a believer learning how to walk with God, learning how to be obedient to his will by faith. And so it is important when you're studying this, you see and you look at it and you go, okay, what's happening here is that Jacob is going to Egypt understanding that 
likelihood is that he wouldn't be back in Canaan. Now, he wouldn't have any idea that it would be that many, that long a time that he would be, his family would be in Egypt. But he did know a couple of things. He knew that there was famine. He knew that his family needed to eat. He knew now that his son Joseph is in Egypt and the head of Egypt, he's over all the land. And he knew that ultimately he likely would not come back from Egypt because of that. And so he went. And it says, then he sent Judah before him. Now Judah's the oldest son to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Now, I think it's real important that we see and understand that understand what is going on here because the picture is rarely talked about. Goshen's not somewhere where we where we want to spend a lot of time and we miss out on it. Goshen in Egypt is the best area of Egypt for farming and for herdsmen to raise their livestock. And the reason it is because it's the, if you look at Egypt on a map, Egypt is nourished, completely nourished. If there's any nourishment that's going to be going on in Egypt, it's nourished by the Nile River. Egypt basically is a desert other than the Nile River. And sure, are there some lands out from the Nile River that are lush and plentiful? There, there are some lands that have that ha does have vegetation out there, absolutely. And as any major river, when it goes into the ocean, a lot of times we think of it as a spigot. You cut on the water and it goes down the drain and that's how it goes into the ocean. But if you'll look at the Mississippi River, if you'll sure enough look at the Amazon River, if you'll look at the Nile River, most major rivers, and we're talking about the largest rivers in the world, most major rivers tend to expand out and, and grow out as they enter the ocean. And the river basin, the place where the river is actually going into the ocean, even the, the Euphrates and the, and my mind's going blank, the other river that's with the Euphrates over in Iraq, they have a river basin, and that's what we call it. It's a place where the river spreads out. I think of the Alabama River as it empties in Mobile Bay. And every one of them, they spread out, and there's many tributaries that come off that river and ultimately go into the ocean, causing a giant bay usually. And it's usually somewhat of a shallow bay if you want to know the truth. In fact, sometimes the river never quite fully makes it to the sea. The Colorado River is one of those that it makes it to the sea, but it's not in the form it was when it when it's going through the Grand Canyon because as it spreads out, especially the more arid the area, the greater the land sucks it up, sucks up the, the nutrients, the water um, from the river. You're going, why are you going through all this, Chad? I, it's important that you see that Goshen was an area that was fed in Egypt by the Nile River. It benefited from the Nile River passing it by. It benefited from the Nile River, giving the land plenty of water so that there was a lot of vegetation and it was a perfect place for sheep herders, by the way, the Egyptian couldn't have anything to do with sheep herders. It, it was a perfect place for them to be, to be in the land, to be separated from the Egyptians, to not mingle necessarily with the Egyptians, and to prosper in that place. Now you're going, well, okay, what does that mean, Chad? It's important that you understand that when God has a plan for someone, even before they understand their uh, understand what it means to walk by faith, even before they understand what even faith is, even before they understand who the Holy Spirit is, and maybe even, and not maybe, but yes, even before they even know who God is, God is already preparing them for him. 
and he's always putting them in the right place. Now they're in Egypt, which means they're in the world. And eventually they would be enslaved in Egypt because there would be a Pharaoh that would rise who did not know them. And we'll see that in Exodus. There'll be a Pharaoh who rises up who they don't have any relationship with because Joseph is long gone and they eventually are placed into captivity. And the reason they're placed into captivity is because of their strength. And because of their location being near the Egyptian, the Egyptian population. And they want to make sure that this group of people who have grown strong and grown numerous do not overtake them or do not overthrow them. And how did that happen? That happened because they are in the land of Goshen. They're in the land of plenty in the midst of Egypt. And oftentimes the issue that believers have when they come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ is they continue to rely on the goodness of the world, the goodness of the land that they were living in, that God provided for them to make sure that they would they would be sustained until they came to an understanding of him. They rely on that rather than beginning to rely on God. They rely on the things that they learned in the world, the things, the worldly things, rather than relying on on the spiritual thing. Best example I can give you of those things, because I, I think you can see that see this clearly, is in the two areas of giftedness that we use in worship primarily. That is, that is the oratory, and that is the ability to be musical and inclined. And you can see that in both ways. Just because someone is a great musician and a great singer does not mean that they have the gifting to lead worship. The gifting to lead worship is a spiritual gift. And when somebody has that gift, you can tell it. You can tell because people naturally are drawn not to them, but are drawn to God and drawn to worship when they're leading worship. And it, it is a gift that has to be used. It is a gift that has to be nourished. It is a gift that has to be refined. And it's a gift that, that requires a person to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to lead them in their natural giftedness. Sure, they do they have a musical talent? Absolutely. Do they have musical? If you don't have musical talent or musical skills, you're not ever going to be a worship leader. And those musical, those natural, worldly musical skills and talents are important in order to lead worship. That being said, the most important thing in leading worship is to be led by the Holy Spirit and to allow the Holy Spirit to, uh, to guide you in the process of leading worship. It's not a performance. It's actually leading God's people into the throne room of God. And, and that sometimes requires you to change things while you're leading worship. It requires you to alter things. I know I've been around a lot of musicians who wanted to be on worship teams, but they could not ever flow with the Spirit, meaning meaning that when the Holy Spirit began to do something, they couldn't alter what the plan was at the start and allow God to lead them into a place where they where they were leading God's people the way God had designed that morning to be or that evening to be. And their rigidness in the world was keeping them from experiencing what it is to lead God's people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, with preachers, the same way. It's the same, or teachers. 
it's the same thing. Oftentimes you'll prepare, you'll make sure you know what you're going to be teaching from. You'll do all the due diligence, maybe even set up an outline. I have learned not to do that. I've learned to allow the word of God to be my outline, but many people will have their outline, the things they're going to say, the stories they're going to tell, the things that they're going to relate to people. And, and then when they get in there, it is more like a lecture and that would definitely become come from our culture, from where we come from, because Western culture is definitely Socratic. It's you stand up and you present an argument or you present ideas or you present understandings in a very logical and very well spelled out way. And then at the end, you hope that the people that are listening have learned and gained something from it. That's not what's supposed to happen on in, in, in the worship service. What's ha- supposed to happen in the worship service is all those things that you just said, where you present information, you give understanding, you provide insight, all that's supposed to happen, but it's supposed to happen under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Holy Spirit can lead those who are listening to see Jesus Christ through his word, listen to me, through his word, and to have that word alter the course of their life in some way, whether it be encouragement, whether it be instruction, whether it be correction, whether it be to lift them up, whether it be to to break their wheels and allow them to have the opportunity to actually seek after God's will, all those things that can happen, and myriads of other things that can happen in a worship service when the word of God is spelled out for people by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, when that happens, there's dynamic life change that takes place, and the Holy Spirit rushes in power and in might. A person who does that has to be able to have some skills in speech, has to be able to stand up in front of people, has to have some understanding of public speaking. I see a lot of times people oftentimes want to stand up, but they don't really understand how people how people receive information. They don't understand how to present information in such a way that people will continue to follow and to listen and to stay engaged. You can't spend 45 minutes just hammering home information. I was in a a, a continuing education class a couple weeks ago, and a couple of the speakers, all they were doing is up there giving information, just information after information. It was so boring. I was really thinking about gnawing on the table in front of me just so that I could have something to do that would take my mind away from the droning on of the person speaking in front of me. Now, was the information they were providing very important? Absolutely. Was it information that I probably needed to know? Absolutely. Was it information provided in a way that I was ever going to listen to? No. Not, not. I don't even really know what they were talking about, to tell you the truth right now. If you said, Chad, what was the subject matter of their conversation? I don't know because I wanted to bang my head on the desk. And the reason is because they didn't understand that you. What when I provide you information, it's got to relate to you. You got to make it relatable. Not only do you have to make it relatable, you can't just give me a whole pile of information and not in some ways make... Uh, draw my emotions in. Emotions are important. Emotions are a part of or an aspect of our soul and information that has no emotional attachment usually is not used unless you are really just highly logical and have really no emotional side to you. And there are people that are bent that way. And that being said, that's fabulous if you're bent that way. And maybe you can listen to one of those lectures for an hour and a half and get a lot out of it. 
But most people need some emotional connection to what's being taught in order for them to uh, relate it to their lives and use it in the in in the things that they're going to be doing later on with that information. And so understanding how to relate information to people in such a way that it not only is received, but they're able to use it to for their benefit. That's what we're doing is for their benefit. In order to do that, you got to have some understanding of it. Why are you teaching this, Jeff? I'm teaching it because you've got to have some earthly skills. You've got to have the benefits of what God has given you in this world, which is Egypt. You've got to have those skills, but then you've got to learn to be obedient to the Holy Spirit by faith and use those skills, those gifts that God has given you in the world in his way and in his will, which is going to be antithetical or against the grain of how they're used in the world normally. And you can't just get up there and rock it out on Sunday morning with songs that sure may talk about Jesus, but do not lead people to the throne room of Jesus and a relationship. See, worship's not a concert. Worship is a, a, well, it's a process of coming into the gates with thanksgiving and washing at the well and laying your life at the altar and then entering into the Holy of Holies and eating of the bread of life and receiving the illumination of the Holy Spirit and ultimately seeing God and being bright at his throne so that you'll know and receive the things that you that God has prepared for you for that day for your growth, for your maturity, for your edification, for ultimately your very best. And so a rock concert doesn't ever get you there. And a lecture does not get you there. Those Now, the skills required for both of those activities are necessary, but there has to be the leadership of the Holy Spirit also. And a lot of times believers in their life use the skills and the things that they have picked up in the world or maybe their natural talents and giftedness that God has given them to survive in the world. And they they use that <clears throat> rather than learning how to use the higher giftings of God, which are spiritual gifts, and the higher purpose of God, which is beyond the world and beyond the momentary. And they they rely on the world rather than learning how to rely on the spirit. And that's the picture of Goshen. They're in a good land, a land that is plentiful. Is it the promised land? No, it's not the promised land. It's right near the world. It's under the control of the world. It's not as plentiful as the promised land. It's not a good land like the promised land is. It's not God's purpose for us to remain in it like the world of the promised land is. And that being said, God has put us in the world to be in it, but not of it. And so we need to understand that when he went to the land of Goshen, he went to the land of Goshen, they went to a land that God had prepared for them for their sustenance so that when they get to the place where God has his deliverer come and he delivers them into the promised land, they will have survived. It says, so Joseph made ready his chariots. Chariots are a picture of earthly power. Goshen is a land of uh, worldly goodness. And they went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Notice, there's all the things that go on in life that are happening in Goshen. Sustenance, there's relationship, 
There is the depth of emotion. That's what's happening here, that, that renewal of relationship, the goodness. And, that, and remember, the common grace of God is at work in the world. I love it when people say there's really no true love except for where God is. That's not, that, that's not totally true because God's everywhere and God's common grace is at work everywhere. And the love of a mother for a child or the love of a, a father for his children or... <clears throat> the love that spouses have for each other that don't know Jesus all that love does come from god but it's not <clears throat> it's not a part of his kingdom love it's part of the common grace that god places in the world and that love is real and it's there and it's in the world but <clears throat> don't mistake it for god's best must understand that it's the provision of god in the midst of this world so that he can get you to the place where you can have his very best when he redeems you and delivers you from Egypt and takes you to the promised land. And there's a lot of depth of relationship here. Joseph is risen to a high place in the world. Now, notice he is a very powerful, rich man, and he is a godly man. So you can have all that going on. You can have earthly riches and earthly power that God has given you for the purpose of God's people. And remember, that's why Joseph had those things is so that he'd rise to that position so that his family would be sustained in the midst of this giant famine that's taking place over seven years. God allowed him to attain to that position for a unique and important purpose. All those things are important, but we're not to seek after the world and we're not to operate in the world's power once we have been redeemed and delivered from the world. Now, we're going to remain in the world. We're going to remain doing that. But we do not place our hope and we don't place our faith in the world. And that's really what this picture of Goshen is. And I think it's important that you see that because there, oftentimes we get those things confused, worldly and earthly position and gifts and responsibilities, and then spiritual earthly gifts and positions and responsibilities. And they can both be at the same time in the same place. But the more important ones are the ones that are born of faith. I hope you got what I talked about this morning. If you didn't, listen on. Maybe I'll do better next time. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.